Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today we have two guests. They are a couple. She is a veteran of the army, uh, having spent the last five years of her time there as their trans representative, and she got an MBE for it. That's incredible. He is a director, an actor, and a writer, having been in Colette and the Danish girl. Gosh, it was right there on the tip of my tongue. Um, and together, they are Britain's first trans couple to have a baby via surrogacy. I watched uh, the Channel 4 documentary, Our Baby, A Modern Miracle. And honestly, I, 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 I cried in it and I just felt for you both throughout it. I thought it was so raw and so beautiful. Anyway, today's guests, we'll get into it, we'll get into it. Today's guests are Hannah and Jake Graf. Hello! Hi. Hi there. And can I say thank you? You're literally the first person who's ever interviewed us who's pronounced our name correctly. Graf. It's not Graf, it's Graf. And you are the... <laughs> 
first, I kid you not. So thank you. Really? Yep. I, right, I, right. I was going through loads of different clips to find <laughs> out, find you saying it. Because I know that any time that I'm on TV, I'm always Giovanna. My name's not Giovanna, it's Giovanna. But Shocking. no, you know, once yeah. one person says it and they look for that reference of how to say it, you know, you're always going to get yep. Graf. Well, also it's the double F as well. Everyone insists because of Steffi Graf, however many years ago, everyone double Fs us. And I will yeah. not be double F'd because we are <laughs> single F's. Thank you very much. Anyway, so thank you for that. <laughs> no worries. How are you both? Hot. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> it is very hot. It's what, 26 degrees still. Um, but no, it's really, it's been a good day. We're looking forward to this. Oh, good. How did you two first meet? <laughs> I know this. And I think it's absolutely adorable. So it's usually, it's the story that I usually tell much because I really sort of like to embellish these things. So I, um, you know, Hannah and I were both, it was about 2015, December 2015. Hannah was obviously excelling, soaring in the army and kind of, you know, doing her thing in the quiet way that Hannah does things. Um, and I was acting a bit, writing a bit, directing a bit. And we sort of, it was all going well. And we had family support and we had friends support, but we didn't have anyone to share our lives with and so mm. I'd seen Hannah being interviewed she, she'd actually just been outed by the Sun newspaper no less um, for being one of the one well, fact at the time the highest ranking transgender officer in the British military and uh, so obviously she was all over the front pages saw her popping mm. up on the Lorraine show one morning and uh, you know Hannah came across as very shy very humble very sweet and um, a couple of days later she popped up on my Facebook people you may know and, you know, obviously the, the trans community were fairly small, so we do all kind of yeah. know of each other. And um, I got a, a message Jake, are you sure there wasn't a little bit of stalking that went on there before was... that so that she popped up in that? Or... The, the, you know, you might be right. I, I had checked her out, that is true. I had checked her out. <laughs> and so then she popped up, and when I, um, when I requested her as a friend, she... In all fairness, got back to me within about an hour to say. I think it must have been longer than an hour. There's say, no way it was an hour. To say. <laughs> Hello, you're like, no, I played it much cooler than that. It was like an hour and a half. She, she, I can assure you there was nothing cool about our first initial meetings <laughs> at all. And she uh, sent me a really sweet message just saying, been following your exploits and achievements with much interest. Be great to meet soon. Love, Hannah. And so I thought, well, obviously there is interest there. And so we start, it was Christmas time, you know, you're all at home with your families and you're sort of having the odd drink in the evening. And so Hannah and I will kind of log on every evening and, and have the, the most mortifying Facebook flirtation, if you can even call it that. Because on Facebook, you can scroll right back to the, the entire of your conversation. So you can just scroll and scroll and see the first things we ever said to each other. It's pretty bad. Oh, it's pretty bad. Terrible. And so we, we started talking and I kind of, you know, I obviously wanted to get Hannah on the phone and because Hannah's got quite a deep voice and thought that if I spoke to her on the phone, I'd just hear a man's voice. And uh, mm. obviously I'd seen her being interviewed. I knew she had a deep voice and Hannah suggested we Skype. And this was way before COVID when Skyping and Zooming was de rigueur. You know, this was a time when like to Skype before you'd had a phone conversation was really weird. And I was like, no, I'm not Skyping you. And she was like, no, no, please, please. Anyway, eventually I got my way and uh, we got on the phone. So and... the conditions for the rest of our relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got on the phone and uh, I said, to... we had a little bit of chit chat. And then within about five minutes, I said, look, I'm after marriage and kids. Is that something you could get on board with? And to Hannah's great, you know, acclaim and kudos, she didn't hang up and she said, well, yes, very nervously, <laughs> that is something I might be swayed into. And, you know, knowing that we were sort of on the same page, um, obviously Hannah had never, ever dated before me, like literally never had a date in her life. 
um, and I dated quite a lot and, and, and had lots of relationships. And, you know, for me, none of them had worked out. So I kind of went into it not, you know, without with little expectation um, and arranged to meet her at three o'clock at Waterloo Station under the um, clock on the 30th of December. Obviously, never having had a date before, she thought that meeting at 3 p.m. was normal. I was just like, look, if it all goes horribly wrong, I can sack her off by six and go and see my friends. <laughs> so I must admit, I did actually have the phone call that came at six o'clock saying, there's been an emergency. And I was like, no, no, we're all good here, actually. And we just clicked. You know, I remember watching her under the under the clock for a couple of minutes before actually approaching stalking. her and and straight away i'm not sure it's stalking when you're about to meet for a date um but like just watching her and she she looked beautiful and she looked shy and i just immediately was attracted to her which happens so rarely for me and yeah. so we had this wonderful date along the south bank in london we talked about everything except being trans you know it was touched upon very briefly but once we started talking we talked about music and families and hopes and dreams and for once didn't have to talk about being transgender and dysphoria and you know politics and all that nonsense we just talked about what we wanted for the future and you know what we could see and what we what we'd never dared let ourselves dream of and we had our first kiss at about eight o'clock in the BFI, which was great because that's sort of one of my kind of spiritual homes. And um, we were having dinner on the South Bank at nine. And by midnight, Hannah had dragged me to a private military bar off the back of Waterloo where we <laughs> sat and snogged on a sofa and drank tequila with a little group of veterans, you know, playing cards nervously on the table next door. These sort of 90 year old vets <laughs> who were like, what is going on here at our private bar, Alfred? Um, and then we we saw each other the next night. That night on the way home, Hannah actually called me and and told me she loved me on the phone. It wow. might, I might have had too many tequilas by that point. <laughs> and, then, and then the next night, 31st of December, I left my friends after dinner at 10 o'clock in the evening and Hannah and I, I actually said to Hannah, come over to my place and I showed her my films. <laughs> so I sat her on the sofa, played her all my films and Hannah ended up weeping and I thought if there is a cooler oh. way to seduce a woman than that, then I'm, I don't know it. <laughs> and um, we've been inseparable ever since. That's amazing. Now, Hannah, what was that first that phone call like when you heard about kids? Because for you, kids were something growing up that you didn't, just didn't think was gonna, you were going to be able to to have in your life. And for me, it's that it's like that. It's a friend's reference. It's Rachel opening the door to that boyfriend who's not sure if he wants to commit, and she's in a wedding dress. It's that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you've got Jake going, "I want kids." How? Because well, obviously, Jake's saying you were you were breezy and you were open to it. But for you, who had been closed off because possibly you just thought it wasn't going to be possible, what was it like to let that in? Yeah, I mean, from Jake's perspective, I really respected him asking and saying it. Like, yeah. you know, you knew what you really wanted and you didn't want to get into a relationship to get attached to someone for, and two years down the line to find out you're in a completely different space. And then, because I know people who that's happened to and that's a really painful mm. place to be. So, like, I kind of respected Jake for saying it in the first place. But at that point, it was still very kind of like, it still felt very pie in the sky stuff. Like I say, at this point, yeah. I'd never been on a date before because, you know, as a trans woman, society, the media, everyone makes you feel so crappy about yourself. So they make you feel like so you're so ugly and so unlovable that the idea that I could even go on a date or be in a relationship with someone was almost like ludicrous, let alone get married and have kids. So at, at that point, even though Jake, you know, was, was saying it very seriously, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of sure I, w I, w I wouldn't be close to it, but it still felt like it would never happen. It was probably one of the reasons why I didn't 
spork and go nuts when he said it because I just <laughs> to me it still felt very unachievable at that stage but you know yeah. obviously as we got together and and you know, started spending more time together and our relationship became more serious then that's when I started just to open my mind up a little bit to think oh maybe these things are possible and it was kind of it was a slow build-up to it but yeah looking back on it it's a really it's a really hard thing to understand how someone can feel like that and how you can be in such a headspace that you think that not only that these like having a relationship and families is you know unlikely but almost like you you really feel like you don't deserve it which is a, which is a really sad thing really but so yeah. luckily you know I found Jake and we we found a way through it. So at what point were you both because obviously you have to decide we're ready we're going to start looking into this at what point did you decide you were ready because it all takes so much time as well for what for which aspect for for be, becoming a becoming a mum and dad oh god right well i mean you know i like to sort of prepare for things and so obviously i did you know i prepared a long time ago for the for the possibility of becoming a dad you know after six years of of kind of being in my medical transition i actually thought look i'm a, you know i'm 35 I want to give myself a chance to one day become mm. a dad. And so I actually stopped testosterone use for six months and kind of let it all clear out. And then I went through the quite difficult and obviously very emasculating and, you know, riddled with yeah. all sorts of difficulties and financial woes and stresses and so on. And uh, had eggs harvested, which was obviously quite difficult. Um, my mum, amazingly, who's supported me always, you know, she she supported me through that. Um, and I, you know, I was a single man going through this. When I went to the to the London Women's Clinic in in Harley Street, they were amazing and and very helpful and very open to to trying with me. But they did say quite candidly, "We've never met a guy like you. We've never had anyone like you come in and try and do this after six years on testosterone." So we have mm -hmm. no statistics. We can't tell you if it's going to work, if it's going to take, if anything will grow. So you know, they were very frank with me, and I went into it eyes wide open, thinking nothing was going to work. Um, yeah. And then it did, and it was a miracle. And I ended up, I did two cycles and ended up with five embryos on ice at five-day blastocyst and thought, my God, you know, I've got five little hopes, five little dreams out oh, there. Yeah. And they sat on ice for, I think, two or three years until, obviously, I met Hannah. So Hannah was very aware early on that we had five little hopes on ice. <laughs> and uh, as soon as we were married, you know, we, we started our very, very difficult venture into the world of surrogacy because yeah you know, as mm. anyone who's sort of you know examined it or explored it or, or gone through a surrogacy journey will tell you there's not a lot of information out there the law is um quite outdated now there needs to be an update there's been updates promised for years but then obviously you know brexit happened and then obviously covid happened yeah. and then i'm sure it's not anyone's massive priority um and obviously you know around the world surrogacy is so difficult now we learned so much because obviously a lot of these countries where it was legal is now not legal for people who aren't of that country places like india and right. cambodia and so on um i didn't know that it was illegal in france in italy and spain so all of those people there have to go somewhere else so it's either the us and canada or ukraine and obviously ukraine is is pounding out babies pumping out babies i think around the region of sort of five thousand babies a year are coming out of ukraine um, wow. But at the same time, they won't touch LGBT people with a barge pole. And so, you know, for all those LGBT people across places like France, Spain, Italy and here, yeah. we had no option but to either stay here and do it or go to the US. And that was just for us. It just wasn't financially possible. 
So we were very, very fortunate that we, we tried all the agencies here and we spoke to a lot of people and we went onto the Facebook surrogacy kind of wild west where none of it is regulated and it's all... Well, I, I've got to say, so I did something for Steph's Pack Lunch where we were looking into sperm donors and I went to a fertility clinic and it is, it's crazy what you can find on Facebook. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, but on the one hand, you're just like, well, these people just want to help people get pregnant because that's what they really, really want. Yeah. But you're right. that Because there is no regulation in that sense, yep. it's, 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 it's amazing yeah. that you, what you can find on Facebook. It shows the best of social media and the worst of social mm. media. So the best of yeah. it is, is that you are connected to people, so you can find people on Facebook who, who who you can pair up with and have this most incredible journey. That's the best bit, is you mm. can connect to people across the world instantly through your laptop, through your mobile phone. The worst bit is, is that there are nefarious people out there who try to take advantage of it. And that is where it gets scary, especially when you're talking about surrogacy, because it's not just, you know, the, the money, it's the emotions that are on the line. You know, yeah. People who are going through surrogacy are doing so, it. Because... So vulnerable, so so vulnerable, which is, you know, the first thing, anyone who knows what it's like to want a child, you yeah. know that you are quite often, by that point, where you're having to look at surrogacy desperate, vulnerable, you would do anything. And obviously people will, will always abuse when, when people are in that situation. Yeah, and, and, and it's the same for, for potential surrogates as well. Again, they're putting themselves in a very yeah. vulnerable position and they do it, you know, I mean, I think anyone who puts himself there as, as a surrogate like, is an amazing person. It's such an altruistic and incredible thing to do for someone, as we can attest. But again, you're putting yourself out there in quite a vulnerable way. And so, yeah. you know, you, in the UK, you're stuck between kind of either doing it, you know, off, off, the, off the record through Facebook, you know, by meeting people and you're opening yourself up to all of that, or you have to go through agencies which suddenly come into lots of fees, lots of waiting lists, and it becomes very challenging. And so you're, it's really difficult to navigate your way through that, and there's no one really to help you do it, is there? Mm. I mean, we, we, we were very lucky that we met lots of people who'd either gone through surrogacy, were about to go through surrogacy, who were running some of the Facebook groups. You know, we, we really kind of, we learned a lot in a very short time. But mm. we, what we did also learn is that, as, as Hannah said, there are a lot of people out there who are preying quite literally on the vulnerability of people like us who are at this point willing to do anything. You know, we, and, and in all fairness, we didn't even wait that long to find our surrogate, to find our wonderful Laura. You know, we, we went to an agency, we went online, we met lots of people, and then we actually were being interviewed on Lorraine about something totally different and happened to say, yes, actually, we're looking for a surrogate. And got loads of women all of a sudden messaging us on Facebook, which was great. One, quite sadly, I think, actually offered me a baby, offered us a baby. And I think they were having oh. a really tough time. They said, please take my baby, which right. we sort of ignored that. Yeah. But um, we had lots of lovely women just saying, you know, I've always wanted to do this. And, you know, I've had my own family and I'm all set. And please let me help you. So, you know. We chatted to all these women. Some of them dropped out for, well, for various reasons. Their husbands weren't up for it. They weren't quite ready. They hadn't thought about some of the ramifications. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually we found our wonderful Laura, who just said, you know, she had always wanted to be a surrogate for 12 years. There had been a time when she was going to, to have a child for her sister, and her sister then miraculously got pregnant. And she'd always held on to that I would love to do that for, for another for another woman, for another parent, and to, to give that gift, that ultimate gift, to another family. And her husband at the time hadn't been very open to that. And at the time we met her, they were in fact getting separated anyway. And apparently one of the first things she wanted to do when their, everything kind of fell apart was 
become a surrogate. And, and it just was the perfect kind of aligning of, wow, we found you, you found us. And, you know, much to our amazement, I think, again, because of all the sort of terrible media transphobia at the moment, um, we, we were actually absolutely blown away that anyone would want to do that for us. And I think when we had the conversation with Laura after about knowing her for about sort of three or four months, and, and I think we were equally nervous, weirdly. We were so desperate for her to say yes, and I think she was quite desperate for us to say yes. And so we but had it this... must be so weird. I mean, talking to each other online, or you know, but actually going to meet each other... It's like a first date, yep. but so much is resting on it. So as much as you're going there going, oh, you gosh, we hope that we like her. We hope that, you know, she, her, her, everything about her aligns with us. You're also going there going, I hope she likes us because I hope I don't come off as a tip because otherwise, you know, then she won't want to be our surrogate. So you must be uh, so nervous going into that meeting. Yeah, but we honestly, the, the, the conversations that we had to have very early on about things that we'd never thought about, whilst obviously you're drawing up the surrogacy agreement, things like what would, what would happen if you both died whilst the baby was in the womb? You know, who would have the baby? Um, what would happen if there was something wrong with the baby in the womb? What would, you know, all of these conversations that you have to have that you'd never thought about. You know, what an awful thing to have to discuss with my wife. You know, what if we both died? And our baby was still inside Laura and what would happen to her and how would that all happen? And, you know, drawing up of wills and so on. I mean, it was there was some quite sobering and and quite, well, quite depressing, really, talking about us both dying, quite depressing moments. And then, you know, obviously we're talking to family and friends about who'd have the baby and, you know, getting some funny reactions about that, you know. <laughs> My, you know, a lot of people were, were sort of, yeah, of course, we'd have the baby, no problem. But a lot of people were kind of a bit like, oh, I don't know. And then you get a text later on that night saying, yes, of course, we'll have the baby, for God's sake. So it was... Which is probably good, though, that, oh, first no, no, of all, no. then they've really thought about it. They've not just gone, yes, definitely, you die, I'll get the baby. <laughs> Thumbs up. No, you, you are absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, it was just, you know, we... I think we really had to think things through, which is good because, yeah. my God, you have to think things through. And, you know, we, we had to have these conversations with Laura. I mean, the, the number of times I've had to discuss Laura's menstrual cycle with her. <laughs> and I, I, every time I go, oh, God, and Laura's like, oh, you hate this, don't you? And I'm like, yes, I hate talking about your period. <laughs> yes, Laura, that is absolutely accurate. But, you know, we all became so close because, obviously, you know, not only did we go through all of that, all of those conversations, but then we went through a pandemic together. So, you yeah. know, we were, were fairly solid. And, and the fact that we managed to bring Millie safely into the world in the middle of all that is nothing short of miraculous. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
So what was it like going back to the moment that your egg was placed inside Laura? So you were both there. What would, like, I, I've had friends who have gone through IVF and, and they've said that that moment is pure magic. Um, you know, because you see the embryo on the screen, you know that, that that is life right there. How was that? I mean... <laughs> it was it was it was genuinely incredible, and like I say, apart from the fact that obviously you know Laura's there, who is is there with legs akimbo, you know it's kind of a it's a little bit awkward, but you know we got to see that moment, and it was amazing. The thing that I will always remember though is is afterwards, you know, they, Mr. Mr. Neurosis here, yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. Neurotic decided to freak out because he thought that as the <laughs> tube came out. And he saw some like lubrication like flick across the room. He Liquid was... flicked across the room, and I th I just thought, oh my god, that's our embryo now stuck to a wall. I mean, literally, <laughs> it came out and it just went boop, and I was like, well, and she was going, it's, it's there on the screen. I was like, but you don't know it is. You don't, you don't know that could just be liquid. And so I came out and I was going to Hannah, how do we check? How do we check? Can we just put another one in? Can we, Hannah? Can we talk to them? And Hannah's like, well, for God's sake, would you calm down? So all the way home, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then obviously you have the longest 12-day wait ever where you're just kind of... I mean, every night I went to bed, you know, we had like little effigies. We had magic unicorns because we call ourselves Team Unicorn as a lot of surrogacy teams <laughs> give themselves names. So we had like... Yeah. We'd rub our unicorns. We'd rub our little baby bib that we had. We'd, we, you know, we'd rub, we'd rock. We'd... Not as in rock, but we'd, you know, rock together and, you know, <laughs> hope and hope and put things out into the universe. And then when we had that Zoom, that Skype, it was Skype at the time, it was before Zoom had kicked off, and we had a Skype with Laura and she she had waited and she got this thing out of the wrapper. So she'd taken the test and then put it back in the wrapper so that she'd not seen it, so we all found out together. And honestly, that was the... To, to be totally honest with you, being in the room with a lady with her legs spread as this was all going on, for me, I have to say, didn't really do it for me. Call me crazy. Okay. However, <laughs> when she sat there and she kind of pulled it out and I saw the two lines and I went, what, what does that mean, Laura? What does that mean? And she said, well, two lines, pregnant. And I was like, no. Laura, look at it. Laura, look at it. And she looked and she went, yeah, it's pregnant. And I went, can you go and do it again, please? <laughs> I hope you're getting, Did getting, she? Yeah, Did I hope she you're getting an idea of my personality here. And so she quite literally took it off to the loo, came back, and then we had a really awkward, awkward three, three minutes, minutes of small talk. Yeah. So... Uh, breakfast this morning, good, yeah, great. Oh, nice day, isn't it? And then she went, yeah, it's still pregnant. And we were like, woo! <laughs> so it was great. No, no, we, things, we weren't woohoo, we were... Yeah, I burst into tears. Yeah, it was like, it was, I mean, there's the amount of time and energy, money, emotion had gone in yeah. to getting to that point. And, you know, the stakes are high because, you know, unlike in with other couples, you know, say we have five embryos on ice, we don't actually have any way of creating any more. So it was a case yeah. of, you know, five goes. And, you know, the IVF, you know, chances are not, you know, particularly great. You know, they can they, they are they go wrong as often as they, they go right. And so stakes were so high. And I just felt this kind of like, like outpouring of like emotion, like I just like run a marathon. And all of a sudden, like, oh, my God. And then it was kind of having to pick ourselves back up after that and then, like, get on with your day, but it was... Well, the fact that we also had a camera crew for the whole thing, pretty much, which, wow. you know, at, at the time when we, when we sort of, you know, agreed to do... Well, agreed, you know, actually it was something we wanted to do because we know how much... Well, how little understanding and knowledge and acceptance there is for both surrogacy and for transgender people, and we thought well, maybe we can put out something that might make people think twice about both and maybe be a little bit mm. less judgmental about both. But then 
you know, we're both fairly private people in a weird way. You know, what we put out there is very curated, as we all know. You know, people yeah. put out what they want to put out, unless you're, you know, the Osbournes and you've got cameras in every room. But it, Talk about it, a dated it, reference. It, but it, it became... We're all there, it's everyone fine. Everyone will get find the Kardashians, whatever. Um, but I think we realised quite early on that what we were doing all on camera was actually really difficult and really quite... There are moments where... God, you just didn't want it there. And, you know, going to the surrogacy shows and going to the NCT classes and going to all that yeah. was quite fun. But then when it became, you know, the first scan and then the, then the second scan and then, you know, is there going to be a heartbeat and all these things that, quite frankly, you don't want anyone there. You're so, I mean, you know, you're both kind of like yeah. a cat on a hot tin roof and then you've got a camera there. So uh, throughout the pregnancy, how did you both stay in touch with Laura? Was she messaging every time there was a like not every time there was a kick but when things were happening was she letting you know and how was that knowing that that was happening away from you you know your your baby is growing somewhere else and and you're not there to see it all happen really difficult but it was you know it's tough because this was this as Hannah said felt like the highest stake thing we'd ever yeah. had going on in our life and we were however many thousands of miles away. But we did, we did, you know, we flew out into Belfast for all like the kind of the key appointments. So for seven weeks scan, was it a 16 week scan? 20 weeks, no, 20 weeks scan. Um, so we, we went out there when we could, but then, you know, the problem is, is that you become a little bit imposing as well because, you know, you, you can't just fly to Belfast for like a, you know, half an hour kind of appointment. You kind of get there in the morning and then, you know, Laura feels that like, you know, she's got to spend some time with this, but she's got her own life, her own kids or whatever. So <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dance. But um, And there's also how often do you call? Hannah and I would sit so many nights. Should we call her? Should we not? I mean, I don't know. We've already called her. We called her yesterday. Should we call her again? But maybe she wants us to call her. Maybe she doesn't want us to call. But maybe, I mean, honestly, you're going, you're, you're sending yourself mad. Yeah. And, you know, Laura is the most laid back person and was quite chill. Anytime we called, she was like, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. And just everything was easy with her until obviously it got to the pandemic and then everything was hard across the well, board. At that point, you know, what was going through your mind Terror. when you can <laughs> see, well, you can see things are starting to shut up, essentially, you know, people are no longer going to their offices, schools are closing, you know, you know that travel is going to be restricted. So at what point do you call it and say, let's just go? Well, we were, as you say, you know, things were just starting to get a bit nervous. This was around kind of... Uh, early March last mm. year where people were just starting to cotton on that this might be a like a, a serious thing that we need to really consider and then we watched uh, Boris Johnson's um, announcement of the first lockdown it was on the 24th of March I know that because it was the day before my birthday and um, he basically said that's it we're locking down and I looked at Jake and I said we've just got to go because we don't know we can if we if we can make it tomorrow so I literally called my boss and said, I won't be in work tomorrow. And we packed a car that night. And the next morning, we just drove to, to Belfast. We just chucked it all in the car and we went. We went drove up to Holyhead, got the, the ferry over to, to Dublin and then drove up from Dublin to Belfast. So we got there at one o'clock in the morning on my birthday. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we got ourselves a last minute Airbnb before they, before they stopped taking bookings. And yeah. Yeah. yeah we just, and then we just camped out there. We were there for about a month, weren't we, before, mm. before she was born, so. Which was really weird, because obviously, again, 
I think anyone who's gone through surrogacy will, will know that you make so many plans about the birth. And it's one of the things you do before you even do the embryo transfer. You talk about who will hold the baby first. You talk about mm -hmm. who will do the first skin to skin. You talk about whether or not you want breast milk. You talk about all of these if things. You're going to be there in the room. Yeah, if you're going to be in the yeah. room. All of these things that you plan meticulously, you agree upon, and you know that that's the way it's going to happen. And then obviously COVID, just all of that just went, 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 went down the drain. And all of a sudden it was... Well, you're not going to be able to be in the room. And then it was, well, you're not going to be able to be in the hospital. And then it was, well, you're probably not even going to be, be allowed in the car park because, you know, they just want as much space and as much distance as possible. And, um, you know, that in itself is scary. Then, obviously, we were told by, you know, by Laura that if either of us contracted COVID, social services would not let us take Millie, um, which obviously makes sense. But the terror that you then feel, that added terror, not only are you scared of getting it, but you're scared of getting it because then you wouldn't be able to get your baby. Yeah. And it's not, it's, we and were... It's not just we not being able to get our baby. Then, because what, in the UK, and this, in the UK law, when the, a baby through surrogacy is born, the surrogate mother is the legal parent of that child. And right. so when she was born, she was technically Laura's daughter. And then if we got contracted COVID and couldn't take her, then the only person that would be able to look after her was Laura. And then Laura all of a sudden has to look after a newborn baby, which she didn't sign up to. And also, you know, yeah. you know she's doing this altruistic thing, but to, to give birth to a child and then to look after them for, for, you know, for 10 days, for 14 days or whatever, suddenly it kicks off a bonding process that is like what no one wants at all. So yeah, again, yeah. it just felt like super high stakes because we got out to Northern Ireland, but then we were like, we just can't leave this house. And like, we'd go like covered up to supermarkets and we'd clean, meticulously clean every single if, thing with disinfectant. If you'd put a match to us, we would have got up in, <laughs> yeah. in, in flames. We were literally <laughs> dousing with this stuff yeah. at a time when it was sold out of all the supermarkets. You know, everything was sold out. Loo roll, eggs and hand sanitizer for some reason. So we were just going nuts with this stuff. Whenever we'd, we'd see it, we'd buy some. And we were, as Hannah says, barely going out. You know, she'd go for a run in the Glen in the morning. Um, and we go out to the supermarket once a week to get stuff. And obviously you're, you're really, it was a time when we would come back and wipe every single packet of yeah. noodles and cans of, I mean, everything, because no one knew, you know. No. We did not understand how con contagious or infectious or what this was actually going to lead to. And all you were seeing on the news was pictures of Italian hospitals and people our age and younger lying face down on ventilators. Mm -hmm. And honestly, until that baby came out safely and healthy, I think I kind of held my breath for nine months. And when she was cut out effectively at 5.30 in the morning on the 14th of April, you know, legs akimbo, blood everywhere, that was, I think, the first time I kind of went, oh, thank God, in, in months and months and months. So had Laura gone into labour or was it a... Um... Or was it an emergency C-section? Did you know what was happening? Or was so that we, at 5.30, wake up in the morning, kind of, what? No, what, no, no not that bad. So she was... Um, <laughs> so the hospital decided to induce her on her due date, um, right. which was the 12th of April. Um, and so she'd gone in for, for an induction. And this is what, I mean, again, learning process massively. You know, you think of induction, oh, you get induced, there's a baby born. But no, like, <laughs> induction can take... I remember one of my best friends, actually my maid of honour, said it to me, like, you know, I got induced, these things can take a really long time. You go back home and all the rest of it. It was all the weeks. Yeah. So, and we were, you know, the reason they'd induced her on that day was because they wanted her in for as little time as possible because of COVID and because they literally wanted her in, out. We would come in, grab and go and... 
and obviously you know it didn't turn out that way at all no so mm. I, I remember I was on a run because again like just trying to you know burn off some like you know nervous energy and I was halfway up a hill when I got a phone I got a message from no a call from Laura saying like you know I've just had like contractions being told to go into the hospital and I like <gasps> like like I think I called Jason and like you know it's it, happening. She's coming. She's coming. I, I, so I was like <laughs> sprint, sprinting home as fast as I can, only to find out that again there's still a lot of waiting to do. And like I said, at this point it'd been cemented to us we weren't allowed in the hospital at all, yeah. um, and we were told not even to come to the car park. So Laura, one of Laura's good friends, um, was her birthing partner, and so she was great. She joined us on WhatsApp and she was kind of keeping us updated. And she actually was in the car park waiting until just the moment she was going to give birth right and then eventually after basically 48 hours of labor it was more than that so, so she was induced on the sunday her waters broke on the monday at about four o'clock and it was on the tuesday morning at 5 30 a.m that finally baby and laura were both tired and in distress and they said right emergency c-section and i think they actually texted to ask if we were okay with it didn't they I think we got a text to say, are you all right with this? Yeah. And of course we said, oh my God, of course, just so long yeah. as everyone is safe, do whatever you need to do. And, uh, and I think that's also a testament to kind of how amazing Laura was to actually even send us that text via, via Gillian, her amazing birthing mm. partner, to say, are they okay with this? And of course we were okay. And, and you know, thank goodness it was a successful C-section. And it was at that point we got a text saying, right, she's out. And we she got... Said, no, she said... She's here. Yeah, she's That's here. <laughs> Accompanied by some of the most horrific photos you will ever see of a baby. The blood was <laughs> everywhere and she was screaming. It was, it was like a horror movie. But honestly, just the relief. And so we very quickly got dressed and jumped in the car and drove the 15 minutes, which was stunning because we were driving as the sun came up over fields of green and knowing that our baby was in the world, swaddled and waiting for us. But then, of course, we get to a hospital that honestly did not look dissimilar to you know the hospital 28 days later there was yellow tape everywhere it was absolutely deserted the car park was mostly cordoned off there were no one no one in any of the receptions and we went in kind of looking for anyone who would help we i called actually called the ward that we had the number for and these this obviously very very busy rushed off her feet nurse i mean they had a case of covid in the labor ward and oh, uh, she gosh. said, I can't tell you where the baby is because you're not the legal parents. So you can imagine you're in the car park. We're both nearly in tears. The baby had been born, you know, an hour pr prior to that. And this woman's literally saying, you're not her legal parents. I can't give you any information as to where she is. I'm sitting here with the mother now. So we're like, well, if you're with the mother, and I, I actually said, actually, I'm, in, I'm with the mother in the car. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this woman was obviously very unimpressed. And... Um, we then finally got a message from Gillian about an hour later saying, right, come up and I'll let you into the ward. So we kind of went in and, and then we couldn't find... I mean, anyway, long story short, it was nine o'clock before Millie was wheeled in in Laura's arms and Laura looked knackered. And we had actually had this conversation that I would hold her first and have the first half hour of skin to skin and then Hannah would hold her and have the second half hour of skin to skin and uh, then we'd go out to the pub for a drink and uh, we'd, like literally she came in and she was that didn't happen by the way no there were no there were no pubs obviously because it was lockdown um, but this our baby was tiny and covered in blood and you know you, we just both held this tiny little thing and just you had her on your chest and she had hiccups it and it was just it was a dream come true there at that there was just nothing 
like that. And we were, I mean, the, the NHS were amazing, considering what was going on and considering that most of the hospital was closed and there was a case of COVID in the, in the maternity ward. We were allowed our own little room, the three of us, and we stayed probably till about six in the evening and they kind of talked us through how to bathe her and change her and feed her. And, you know, she was drinking these tiny little bottles of, you know, <laughs> one sip and you're just, just, and it was perfect. I read somewhere, I can't remember which one of you said it, but you said that parenthood is something that you dared to, like you didn't dare to dream about because it seems something that just might not happen. With that in mind, what's it like to look at your life now? When I came out as trans, I thought I was making the decision that would mean that I never had a relationship and I'd be single for the rest of my life and that, you know, that I'd grow up, you know, watching my friends and family have kids and I'll be alone that and that was okay because at the time that's all I wanted because I just needed to be me and that's who I was but now to have come through that and be here with Millie it is unimaginable the how lucky I feel and how lucky I think we are as a family and you know there are many people who struggle to have children and some who unfortunately don't manage it and I have huge amounts of sympathy and I, I love to those people because I just know how lucky how lucky we are to have Millie in our lives. So if you could write a letter on parenthood who would it be to and what would you say? I would I would write it to my younger self and to any other you know, anyone who is who doubts their ability to become a parent and I would just say that no matter how society or people make you feel, you are a human being, you have the rights, you have the ability, you have the possibility and the hope of becoming a parent because I wish someone had done that for me when I was a little bit younger. Um, for me, I would write it to all of those parents out there who have a child who has told them probably taking huge amounts of bravery and courage that they feel different, that they feel that they're gay or they feel that they've got a crush on a boy at school or they feel that they're trans or that their gender doesn't fit them or they'd like to be called another name. I know what it's like growing up as that child and I know that all you need is love and support from your parents. And having seen all of the young kids through all the different charities of which were patrons, being supported compared to those who aren't supported. All you need to do is love and tell your child that it's going to be okay. As a parent, you signed up to having maybe a gay kid, maybe having a trans kid. It's unlikely because statistically that's just the way it is. But if you do, then you're blessed because this child has trusted in you enough to tell you how they feel and who they are. And you know, I, I always think, particularly now that I'm a dad, would you rather that your kid aged sort of 20 or 25 says to their friends, you know, I was so lucky because when I came out and I was scared and I was worried and I knew that society made me feel like I wasn't really what, what they wanted, I wasn't the norm, but my parents made me feel loved and accepted and supported. And because of that, I now am strong and I don't doubt myself and I have self-confidence and I'm so lucky. Or would you rather be the parent of a child who said, when I came out, my parents made me feel unloved and unsupported and invalid. And those, those relationships are ones that we have yet to, to heal because they just weren't there when I needed them so badly. And I think, you know, if you any kind of parent in the world, please choose the former because it's not going to hurt you and I assure you it will hurt them. What's interesting, I think, is that both of you growing up, you wouldn't have, have had those people to look to 
who were trans, who were going th through life. You know, you just, those, those role models weren't there. And just watching you two, listening to you, the love that is just so apparent, the way you talk about Millie, like, you both talk so much actually about the fear, like people fear the unknown. And you're humans who have so much love to give. And it is just such a joy to watch you and listen to you talk. Thank you. That's very kind. Well, actually, you know, it, 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 the problem is, is with the trans community is that, like, I think it's something like 89 percent have never knowingly met anyone trans. Mm. And people, as we all know, fear what they don't understand and feel what they fear, what they don't know. And, you know, yeah. Harvey Milk in 1980s San Francisco, when he was rallying people towards gay rights, said, you know, look to your postman, look to your brother, look to your friend and you will see one of us. And obviously, you know, there are a lot of gay people out there and not so many trans people. And obviously it yeah. is difficult because, as you say, talking to us and talking to all our trans friends and we are, as you say, human. We are just the same as anyone else and we have all the same hopes and dreams and everything else. We just happen to have a condition that is something that usually needs to be kind of, you know, sorted, rectified with hormones and surgeries. Other than that, you know, and, and there are a lot of people that need surgeries to kind of, you know, make their bodies fit and align and work in the way that they're intended to. So, you know, for us, we've been very lucky. We've had largely huge amounts of support and we would never pretend mm. otherwise. When, when our documentary came out, Hannah had, I kid you not, thousands of messages from women, all of which she tried to reply to. I'd go in at like two in the morning, you know, <laughs> two in the morning, she's still sitting on the sofa, scrolling through and answering these women. I was like, baby, we, we can't, you cannot answer every single message, but such beautiful messages of women saying, I didn't carry my child, please have no fear. You know, you've given me hope that I'm gonna try IVF again. You know, please tell me how you managed to have the eggs harvested, how you found each other, how you, how you, how you and it was just wonderful and we realized that actually it was a story of hope not just for people like mm -hmm. us but for people across the board I think if people thought you know well if those two <laughs> against all the odds and a pandemic can have their baby then there's hope for me as well and you know what an amazing position to be in that we were able to do that yeah it was very yeah. it was very moving and empowering reading all those messages from those women and what what it actually made me feel good about myself in so many ways there's so many women talking about their own fertility journeys some of them very negative some of them negative that turned into positive and some that were just early days and it was a real mix but what what it showed me was that you know not there's so many women out there who don't have your picture perfect you know simple process of having a kid I had my hang-ups because I thought you know it was all about me being trans actually there are so much in common with so many women out there who have gone through their own version of, you know, you know, infertility and, and ways to have a have a child, whether it be through IVF, surrogacy, adoption, whatever it is. And it was just, I, I do think that as a as a society, we should talk more about the different ways people have children, about you know, infertility journeys, because so many people go through those issues in silence and they really feel like they're alone. And it took something like a documentary for people to reach out and say actually that like that's like me too and I promise you just the thousands of people who message me like there'll be many many more than that and I think we should all be talking about it a little bit more I completely agree I end each episode of the podcast with you finishing three sentences so the first one so Hannah we can start with you being a mum means <sighs> being a mum means love unconditionally unwaveringly going with the flow, just being there, whatever happens. And Jake, being a dad means? A dream come true. 
Uh, the next sentence is, well, the start of it is, uh, since having children, I... I have not slept beyond 7.30 <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> Jake? Since having children, I have changed a lot of nappies. <laughs> and finally, I'm happy when... Millie's happy. I'm happy when I go in in the mornings and she's had a full 12 hours of sleep <laughs> and she looks up at me and has big eyes and just smiles and puts her hands up. Yeah. Aww. Guys, thank you so much. It was so, so lovely talking to you both. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.